Welcome to Barron Talks. I am Chancellor Ralph Ford, and my guests today are Chris Matatorak, Director of Student Leadership and Involvement at Penn State Barron, and Clark Tiemann, Assistant Director of Student Leadership and Involvement. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Pleasure having you here. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background and then what we're going to discuss today in the show. So first, uh, Chris leads the Office of Student Leadership and Involvement, and you also advise a student government association. I know that's a big job, and you coordinate the Barron Speaker Series and I'm sure many other things. Clark, you coordinate our Welcome Week programming here on campus. You manage the student staff of the Club Hub Marketing and Craft Space, and I know many other things I see you involved here on campus. Well, our discussion today is going to be a great one. We're going to focus on student engagement. Uh, you know, studies consistently show that when students are involved in extracurricular activities, you know, clubs, activities, service organizations here on campus, Greek life, intramural, varsity athletics, you know, the list goes on and on. They are more likely to continue their university studies and be successful, and not only that, achieve at a higher level in life. So today we're going to dig a lot deeper into that topic, but let's get started first by hearing a little bit about each of you. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. Tell us, uh, why did you decide to get involved in this field? Why student engagement? So I started my professional journey like most people in higher ed where I was involved in college. I was part of the programming board and the student government association, and I really enjoyed my activities outside of class. And when I realized I could do that for a career, I was all for it. Not many people say, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be the director of student Right. It's leadership. not necessarily a career path. <laughs> no. But did you learn about that while you were in college? Is that when you figured that out? Or was it later? How did you? I, while I was in college, I had a great advisor of student activities, a mentor, and she actually said to me, hey, have you thought about this for a career? And I said, no, I haven't, but that's what opened the doors for me. And I've been involved in higher ed ever since. Did you start in the path of becoming like a resident director? What was the first thing you did? My first thing was assistant director of student activities. And then I came to Barron as the assistant director of student activities. I then became the associate director in student activities. And now I'm the director of student leadership and involvement. Well, we are really happy that you're here. And you've had a lot of impact and, uh, you know, a lot more to go in your career here. And, uh, Clark, let's uh, switch to you. Tell us, you know, how did you end up in this area and how did you end up at Barrent? Yeah. Um, similarly to Chris, I think that that's a common thread along student affairs folks. But, yeah, I was just hyper-involved in, in my college experience. I took some time after graduating with my bachelor's degree did some work in my what I thought was my destined field and really missed the college experience, really missed working with young people. So a few years later, I went back and received my master's at University Park. Okay. When I was in my second year, my final year of that program, job searching, there was a position open and student leadership and involvement here at Behrend and um, some of my mentors at University Park said, hey, there's this position you should parents. take a look. Oh, you should have a look. Yeah, at you that should place. take a look. We love, you know, we love Chris and Lindsay in the office, and you know, just take a peek. And I came to Erie and really enjoyed it, and the rest is history. It's this interesting place up here in northwestern PA in the corner that nobody knows about. Yeah, I love the North Coast. Well, so tell me though, what was your undergraduate degree? And so you talked about the fact that you thought about doing something else. You had a different path in mind. 
Yeah, I always love talking to student affairs professionals because our bachelor's degrees are all, all over the place, right? Mine personally is in public relations and music performance. Mm -hmm. So no ed experience up until that sure. point. But I got very, very involved in my work study position while I was in college, which was in arts administration. Mm -hmm. um, and then I pursued arts administration for a few years out of college and then, you know, realigned and we went back to figured school. out a new yeah. path. Yeah. How about you, Chris? What did you study? My undergrad was um, communication arts and my goal was I was going to be in broadcasting journalism. Oh. And then as I realized my career path would take me to higher ed, I got my master's in counseling psychology with a tract in student personnel. What I think is so important about this conversation, we'll get to more of the discussion on student engagement, is though it, it does show the fact that we always have this mind, you're tracked into something while you're studying it, that's what your career is going to look like. The reality is much different, and it shows there's a lot of opportunity out there for people with a college degree and otherwise, too. But anyways, let's get to, you know, talking about uh, student engagement. You know, one of the things I like about Barron is that we are, I think, often very intentional and strategic in what we're trying to do. And uh, we recognize the importance of student engagement and supporting the different ways. And there are many different paths that students build a life here on campus. How important is this in the overall student experience? And, you know, uh, do all students get involved? What are the different ways they get involved? A lot there, but go ahead. Sure. Uh, we know that learning continues outside of the classroom, and that's what makes the full college experience. And by being involved, our students build personal relationships with each other, with faculty and staff. They are able to recognize and value diversity amongst mm -hmm. others. And then they also begin to identify their own values as they're being involved and in, in experiencing different opportunities on campus. Just to add, I think that another value that we're seeing in our co-curricular experiences that our students are involved in, they're developing some of those soft skills mm -hmm. you know in the classroom they're learning all these hard skills their technical skills but it's really outside of the classroom when they're put in charge of a particular project or a group or a committee that they're able to flex some of those skills whether it's understanding the importance of multiculturalism and diversity or you know just communication skills critical thinking all of those sorts of things well you know one of the things i enjoy watching about the students is that there's some basic things that they learn that carry them far in life. And you just mentioned a few, but I think of one that's simple. You know, how to carry out a project, how to then meet with a group of other students that you don't know very well, how to run a meeting. I mean, they're intimidated by just the fact of what it takes to put together an agenda. I mean, I know this, but pretty soon they learn and you develop a whole lot of skills that you wouldn't otherwise that are really valuable in the, quote, the real world out there. Absolutely. I talk to my students about writing emails, what it looks like to write emails to other professionals and how different it is from talking to your peers or your colleagues through text message in encouraging them to open their emails as well. Yes. Uh, because that does not go anywhere when they graduate from college. So, Well, this is a big problem we know, and it's... Uh, First of all, faculty tell us, and I see some of the emails from students as well. And, you know, a basic uh, salutation can go a long ways and not just, hey, yo. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, they do change, and that's a good thing. We see that change over four years and understanding that whether you like email or not, 
it's a preferred form of business communication, and you have to answer it and do it regularly. But anyways, we went off a little bit. Let's stick with this idea. You know, extracurricular involvement, does it truly support the academic success of our students? Because, I mean, I would argue, we're, you know, this is an important function, but students are here for their academics first and foremost. So we know that students who are involved, and you mentioned some of the, the skills that they will develop, but they have better time management skills. They have to. They have X amount of time in the classroom, and then they have to dedicate time to their studies and their involvement. So they, they are better at time management. They tend to get better grades, students mm-hmm. who are involved. They form study groups as well, too. I mean, absolutely. 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 And that leadership can be in a club or in a study group or in the classroom, those skills that they're developing, those interpersonal skills of managing their peers or leading a project within a club or organization. It's a safe place to do those kinds of things, a safe place to make mistakes in project management or or event planning where we're there to work with them and and help them and show them that it's okay, here's how you do it, and that's when they thrive. Yeah, and it really is. It shows the, this is why we're here as a residential campus. Otherwise, you know, we, we could deliver all online these days. But we know, in fact, that that doesn't work because we learned uh, in the pandemic, and we'll talk a little bit later about, you know, the impact of the pandemic and how the recovery is going and what you're seeing. But we learned pretty clearly that uh, – the belief that we could just simply take away all of the activities on campus and just deliver an academic program. It doesn't work. So you don't have to sell me on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it each and every day. Let's talk about fit. That's important. When students are looking at a college or university that go on their tour or visit their local campus, they may not realize it. And that idea of fit is really important. I like to say sometimes you just walk on we hear that a lot, and they look around and they say, this place is for me. Or sometimes they say it, it isn't. What's your experience? Do you see that fit? How does it play out? I do. In talking with students and why they chose Barrand or how they decided, fit comes up. And they, they say, yes, it just I could feel it. But I really think it's the people and it's mm-hmm. the interactions that they have, whether that's a tour or in admissions or meeting with other students that they get to have a, a, an idea of what it's like to be here at Barron. It's interesting because some people, some students will say, oh, I came from such a small town, I wanted to come to a big campus. Or they come from a big town, and this is a small campus to them, and it fits them in different ways. So I always find that interesting regardless and i mean one of the things i love about this campus too is when you walk around in the evening now i can compare it back to when i started many years ago so much more vibrant there's so much going on all the time and you just see regardless of whether they're going to midnight bingo or a sports game it's you know there's just a lot of different ways to get involved but clark i'm going to ask you you know what makes baron the right fit for so many people with different interests i think a lot of students find that it's the best of both worlds right we are a relatively small campus but anecdotally, from what I've seen at similar sizes across the nation, we offer a lot when it comes to the number of active organizations, the number of D3 teams and intramurals, our club sports as well, the work that a lot of our faculty are doing in research, a lot of the connections that we're getting to intern and externships. There's just so much happening all the time 
as of two weeks ago, I know that we had had over 225 events on campus. Holy cow. Um, and we weren't even through September yet. So yeah. for a campus of our size, I think that's pretty remarkable. And so I, I do enjoy seeing students come and they can, you know, see the same people at every event they go to, but they're always meeting new people at the same time. And there's always something for them to do if they want to find it. So what makes a student stay here all four years? Mm. I've met many, many students who come with the intention of a two plus two um, mm. sort of trajectory. And a lot of them, again, anecdotally will say, I stayed because I made friends and I couldn't leave them. Or I stayed because, you know, I've made this commitment to this organization, whatever the organization might be. And I see myself being a leader of this organization. And that's not going to happen if I go somewhere else, regardless of if it's University Park or another school altogether. So they really find their own buy-in. They create their own environment that they feel commitment to. And they want to see it through. And many of them are very, very sad when they have, find that they need to leave after four or five oh, years. Oh, I know. I've seen that a yeah. lot. They, of course, that's why we have uh, parents, family, and alumni weekend or any other time. You know, you can always come back to Barron. You're part of the Barron family. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that is so critical and universities are focusing on, and of course we too here at Barron, is uh, student success. And when we talk about student success, that is, we have a belief that every student who comes here should be able to finish their degree program. Now, the reality is that's hard to achieve 100%, but the closer we get to that ideal, the better we are. One of the things that we know is the first six weeks of a student's academic career are really critical to their long-term success. And if they're doing well then, they tend to do well. They tend to graduate within, you know, three, four, five, six years. Uh, and we started this initiative here at Barron, something known as the Six Weeks Initiative. So, you know, it, it involves a whole host of people from academic to student engagement. But, Chris, tell us a little bit about the program and how does it work and what's your role in it? The Six Week Initiative is uh, a group of professionals that work together to make sure that our new students are supported and successful. The group receives um, feedback from faculty or staff. It might be a red flag from a faculty that a student is not showing up to class mm -hmm. or not participating in class. Or maybe it's someone who has had a conversation one-on-one -on -one with a student and is aware of an issue that student might be facing. And so this group, what they'll do is they'll identify these students and and sort of divide and assist as necessary and reach out person to person to those students and find out, you know, hey, we've got this message that you're not showing up for class. Is everything okay? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just, oh, I've had car troubles and I didn't know what to do, but I'm okay now and I'm, I'm back on track. Or it could be catching something that's a little more serious. I'm mm -hmm. having financial troubles and not sure what to do. So we'll connect them with the resources that exist on campus to help them be successful in, in their classrooms, in their education. And we know that getting them involved from the yeah. start is really key in getting them connected to campus and connected to resources. I think one of the things we just can't take for granted is to us, we live and breathe it every day. We know where the resources are. But to a student who's never been here, who 
maybe grew up without a whole lot of experience, uh, every, even seeing a college or university, it's pretty intimidating for them to reach out for help. So we do that. We try to reach out and help them and say, okay, we see you're struggling. Do they appreciate it? I think so. I think that that's one of the advantages of the size of Barron is that we are capable of doing that one-on-one reach out to students um, and we can make that connection and that student knows that someone out there cares, that someone is worried about them specifically and if it's, yes, I can finally tell somebody that I'm having this issue and I didn't know where to go or I'm okay I just had a little glitch but thanks it's a personal connection and now they have a resource they have a name of someone that they can go to if they needed help sometimes we just need to remove the stigma of going for mental health assistance going for tutoring all of those things but I'd like to just go a little further so how does student engagement work into this I think from the very beginning, from the day they move onto campus, we are a presence to them. With our with our staff, with our student volunteers, we make it known that you're welcome here and we have a whole host of activities to keep you busy. And we want you to be involved. And that leads me right over to you, Clark, because you organize our Welcome Week and uh, it's designed to get students involved right from the get-go. So what's the goal? So you start thinking about that every year? You start planning the program? What are you thinking about as you put together the program for Welcome Week? Yeah, I mean, officially, the goal of Welcome Week is to integrate students into the academic and cultural atmosphere of Barrent. But when I'm starting year to year to year, I'm much more base than that, right? I'm thinking, what is like Maslow's hierarchy? Like, what What do we need to make them feel safe? And so oftentimes that's working with various partners across campus, whether it's the school so that the students know what's expected of them in the classroom, because as you mentioned, they don't know what the bursar's office is. They don't know what the registrar's office is. They don't know what academic integrity means. Mm-hmm. Um, so providing them with those resources up front from the minute that they arrive on campus is crucial, right? Mm-hmm. But then it also goes to making sure they know where their classes are, making sure they know where the dining hall is. Mm-hmm. Um, any and all of those sorts of things, and then how can we make them have the most fun and meet the most people, peers, and future colleagues that we can while teaching them all of those basic needs. Do they see it as, oh, geez, I have to go through this program? Do they start that way? you see a big difference by you know the end of several days with them? I think it really depends on the piece. We recognize that some of the things are a little less fun to learn or do sure. than others, um, but we start out pretty high energy. Mm -hmm. Um, So the past several years, we've been able to move in on the Friday prior to classes. I have student volunteers that meet them regardless of if it's their commuters and they're checking in in the commuter space, or if they are moving into one of our residence halls, we greet them with smiles and energy and brightly colored shirts. And hopefully that sets the tone for the rest of their success for that week. Everybody gets this nice like lime colored, you know, lime green, Penn State Baron shirt. You know, one of, you made me think that one of the really neat things about that is the Welcome Week guides. And they're upper division students. They come in, they're trained, but they are just a joy to watch. They bring so much energy. So why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, how's that process work of finding Welcome Week guides and what do they do? You know, thankfully, they have enough fun that they are sort of a self-replicating and oh, self-recruiting <laughs> group. Chris mentioned they are volunteers, right? And they sit through three days of what can, I'm sure, be boring to them training. 
they move in a little bit early with us and they stand in the heat and in the sun and they never complain. That's, um, that's what amazes me. They stand outside of the residence halls, singing songs, chanting and welcoming people. It's quite the sight to see. It absolutely is. Um, and one of my favorite things is to see where they each find their niche on that day. So I know that there are students that I've known before um, and they're quiet as a mouse, but they will find what they need to do to be successful and to, to use their strengths to really improve and greet new families and their students. Question to both of you. Do students find in that first week, do most of them find the peer group that they're going to stick with for two or three, four years, or do they switch around? Or do you know, like, do they find their friendships in that first week? I would say not necessarily. Okay. I think it takes them some time. You often see our new students moving in bigger groups as they're heading to the dining hall or moving to class or going to those first programs. They may be traveling in a group by their floor in their residence halls or or a group of students coming from off campus. But then I think after those couple weeks when they start attending those first Mm -hmm. meetings and whether that be a social organization or an academic club that's associated with their intended major, that's when they start to find their core group. And that may change over time as they meet new people. But I think it, it's, a, it's a gradual. Well, frankly, this. that's good to hear because it would put a lot of pressure on them to say this is the time when you find all of your peer group. And it should, it frankly, change over time. Let's switch to our concert. It used to be the spring concert, which is a few years ago we switched this from the spring to the fall we have it, I think, within the first two weeks of class out on the soccer field. This year, we, you know, we had a band, a singer or a band called Young Gravy. Now, I've never heard of this Young Gravy before, <laughs> but it turns out he's quite the phenom and in the, the media quite a bit. So I think it was a great hit this year. Why did we make that change? Uh, it just seems like there's a lot of energy around the concert now. What's different about it? We've made the change to be able to have the show outside. I think many, many reasons the outside show is just a different vibe, but also capitalizing on the energy of the start of the new year. All students are welcome, and it's a, it's a whole day of events. We have the Multicultural Council starts with their cultural fest, then we move them to the concert, and then after the concert is over, we have the Baird After Dark activities. So we're intentional about programming the whole day. Mm-hmm. But it's so nice to have the change we had is that the show is now, or has been, no charge for our students. And it's just been Baird students. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a Baird community event. It was nice to have it open to all the of Erie. Sure. Uh, but it's definitely a different experience than when it's just your peers. And and it's really a celebration for those students. And the students are still involved in the planning and the production of the show. The students still... They pick the... They still decide who... The artist. They do. And, And it's neat because it also teaches them, okay, this is how much an artist is going, and this is what we need to factor in as far as the fee for the artist and what other aspects go into planning a show and they're involved with each of those pieces security hospitality tickets do they even get to see the contract 
Yes, they do because yeah. they will go through the requirements. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's a so great learning it's, experience. It's all, I mm-hmm. for that for a young student to be able to see that absolutely. So yeah, it's become a it's becoming a signature event on campus. Well, you know, as that you know, I'm thinking through as the beginning of the year starts. So now we've got we're always trying to get students involved in our clubs and organizations. And one way that you do that is something called the Discovery Fair. And uh, walk us through what the Discovery Fair is and how successful is that in engaging students and building our clubs and organizations? Sure. So the Discovery Fair actually is a rebrand of two separate events. This was the inaugural Discovery Fair. Previously, we had two separate involvement fairs. One would be all clubs and organizations called Club Showcase. Mm -hmm. Um, And then usually the next day we would do the service and leadership fair. You know, my colleagues, Ashley and Chris Fox in um, student leadership and involvement and I put our heads together and thought, you know, let's work a little bit smarter, not Mm -hmm. harder. Sure, we recognize the difference in those opportunities between service opportunities and club opportunities, but to the students, they're just looking to get involved, and they might not even realize that they want to do a service opportunity, and so they wouldn't go to the service fair, but they might see some of those involvements, and then vice versa, right? So seeing a large crowd of events across the gamut, um, it was really cool to see, and then our students are busy. They might only have a half hour in the afternoon to spare. And so being able to see all of those things offered at once, instead of trying to slice out two days worth of afternoons to investigate those opportunities. You put it it outdoors right in the center of campus where they have to walk through, right? Between the changes of classes, right? That's a smart idea. Yeah. And honestly, we try to take attendance every year and it's difficult just because they slip right through. They they walk right through and um, it's a great problem to have, I guess, but... It's a it's a really nice day. Let's talk a little bit about the impact of the pandemic. So my observation, you know, what happened was we had a, a lot of student leaders who were running our clubs and organizations, which has been largely a face-to-face activity for two years. They graduated and they're gone. And now we've got new students. We don't, we don't have the same upper division students who had that experience. I mean, is that a correct assessment, first of all, what I'm saying? And uh, are they coming back? I mean, what are, the, what are the challenges we've seen? It's definitely a correct assessment. We've had a big leadership gap. Our students are coming back and they're excited to be involved. But what I've found is that our students learn from each other. They're watching the student leaders mm-hmm. about how to be a leader, how to run an organization. And they, they missed that with having a meeting on Zoom. They missed seeing how to run a meeting in person and how to interact with each other and how to follow up on the historical things that that club may do. And it's a challenge as an advisor It reminds me that, okay, I need to put a different hat on where I could sit back a little and let them take care of all the details. I need to step in and fill some of those gaps so that they can pick up where the last administration left off or the last leadership team left off so that they are having a smooth transition. Well, it's an opportunity to start fresh, too, and have new ideas come in. And what I'm hearing is the good news is, and I think we all know this, but... People are resilient, but you need to keep pushing them. And, you know, we see this on the academic side and others. And I'm not saying it's easy out there. In fact, it's really hard on our faculty, on all of your staff as well. But we have to just keep holding the students to standards, and they'll figure it out. 
Well, one of the really popular opportunities, service opportunities, is something known as Alternative Spring Break. Love this program. Tell our audience, what's the Alternative Spring Break program about? So the Alternative Spring Break is a service trip where our students go to a different location and have a week of service, and it's outside of Erie County, so it's somewhere um, where they travel during spring break. So instead of going to the beach or having a, a vacation, they're dedicating that week to service. The students will sign up, they apply, and they are interviewed by a panel of their peers, and it's a blind interview. They don't have the students' names, and they choose around 24 students to participate in the alternative spring break. Um, they've gone all over the country doing disaster relief or work with homeless persons or... They were helping to rebuild from Hurricane Katrina, I recall, and some of the other disasters that have gone through. Right. They they went several years to Mississippi, where Gulfport, Mississippi, was hit very hard from Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. The news definitely highlighted New Orleans, but... Oh, yeah. The, it was widespread. Mm-hmm. So this must be a real eye-opening experience for them. It's a life-changing experience because not only are they helping those folks in the community, they're meeting those people and they're learning that they're in a situation through no fault of their own Mm -hmm. and maybe they got taken advantage of by an unscrupulous contractor Mm -hmm. or they are working so hard that they don't have time to work on their home. One of my favorite stories from the time where we were doing relief from Katrina was the people that we were helping, they were so used to getting sandwiches from FEMA that when we went to the location to do work on the house, the woman said, no one's having a sandwich at my house, and she made a hot meal for the students Ah. that were there. So those types of of things. At the end of the day, we would have to tear the students away from the site. Just one more nail or one more board I needed to do. So it was definitely a life-changing experience. And they work hard while they're there. They work hard. But they get time for play as well? What we try to do is dedicate one day to immerse in the culture of that area. And we try to patron a local restaurant and learn from the local community about how they were affected. So it's a lot of work, a little bit of immersion into the culture of that area. No, that's great. I mean, this is one of the things that I think is is wonderful about the culture of Penn State University. You look across the board from Barron to, you know, any campus in the system, and it's that idea of service, and, uh, you know, we've got a lot of ambassador organizations, so it's just a great story. Well, let's switch to Student Government Association, the SGA, and uh, you work, Chris, particularly closely with the Student Government Association. And they uh, have a really important function here on campus. They really do in terms of representing the students and their interests. What leads students to join SGA? I think that it's a variety of reasons. They may have had an experience in their high school years on their student government, or they are a political science major. But really, I've seen many different types of students participate from many different majors or academic disciplines participate in SGA. I think the common 
thread is that they want to help their fellow students. Mm -hmm. They say they want to make a difference and it's an opportunity for them to do so, whether that is representing students' concerns in academic areas or what type of chicken fingers are being served <laughs> in the dining sure. hall. It, it runs the gamut of, of issues that come to SGA. Well, it can be a whole variety of issues. And the one I was going to bring up, of course, is that is perennial astute is parking, right? And oh, yes. oh my goodness, parking every year. And uh, on the other hand, sometimes progress is made and we'll make changes to parking and you know, whatever uh, it might be to help the students who are commuters and the like. And those needs change. So it's really important that we hear those things from the students to be sure. So you mentioned a few. What are, you know, so tell me, like, parking, what are the hot-button issues on campus? One of the issues that student government identified was needs of the commuters. So they developed an ad hoc committee to focus on commuter issues. And through their work, they were able to identify space on campus to mm -hmm. be a commuter lounge. So now students, commuter students have a spot on campus where they can use as a home base, be comfortable or study, close their eyes for a little bit. Yep. Uh, and then that developed into identifying the need for a staff person. So that's one area. They really took an interest in academic advising, and that's a committee that they've been working on recently is identifying how they could partner with the academic side of the house to improve advising. Improve advising. But, you know, just sticking with the uh, commuter students, I will tell you that uh, it was just a joy to watch. You must be very proud of the fact that multiple student government associations worked on that issue and they made real progress here on campus. So this isn't just some sort of report there. We have a space dedicated here on campus, you said it, for our commuter students that's very valuable because the student government association, the leaders saw that need. And then they, you know, they found a way to staff it and come up with funding for staffing. So I love to see those stories. Let's talk about, Clark, you know, if students are, have an interest that isn't in an existing club, can they start their own? Oh, yeah. We have had, um, I'm going to say, at least a half dozen clubs go through the SGA acceptance process, review process already this semester. Wow. Um, to start a new club, it's pretty simple. They need 10 students, four of whom need to serve as an officer and an on-campus advisor and a constitution. And we have both student staff and professional staff available to walk them through those processes. And as I mentioned, SGA will thoroughly review and vote, and then they are officially ratified by our office after SGA passes it on to us. Wow. And so if you've got an idea, come see you. That's it, right? Absolutely. If any of our students out there. And what I always marvel at is the fact that we've got about 140, let's say, give or take, students, clubs, and organizations on campus. Yeah, coming back from COVID, it was a really good opportunity for us to help the students take stock of how active they want to be, how many members they have, clearing through rosters and seeing who's really involved, who's dedicated to your organization. And, um, you know, we see it all the time. There are some good things that have come out of the last few years, and being able to get a pulse on the activity of those organizations mm -hmm. is one of them. Let's talk about a longtime tradition now here at Barron that many of our graduates know well, and that's something called Midnight Bingo. I mean, it's just a phenomenon that goes on year after year. I'm always surprised at how popular this is, and our alumni talk about that. Walk us through that. How did Midnight Bingo become such a big deal among college students? 
Midnight Bingo started years ago with the group Line Ambassadors. They came up with this idea to have this major event on campus, and we all thought, bingo? Bingo, yeah, that's, that's, that's older people, bingo. right? <laughs> it has grown to such the phenomenon. It, midnight Bingo, it starts at 10, and it's over by 1, so it happens across the midnight hour. But they plan the whole thing, and they have different themes for bingo. The process is they have to submit a, a budget request for the bingos, and they receive funding from the student activity fee, and they select all the prizes. They get about $3,000 per bingo. Wow. So they, they do the shopping. They do the planning. It's a large undertaking for the group, and they love it, and our students love it. You have to go early if you want a good seat. Yeah, if you want a seat, you have to get there early. <laughs> so everything from a bucket of cheese balls to a large TV could be the prizes and, and everything in between. Yeah, such a great barren tradition. Well, I want to switch to another barren tradition, and that's the uh, Multicultural Council, which has been here on campus for quite a number of years. I didn't even realize until I talked to some of our alumni who graduated in the 80s and 90s who helped to create it and how proud they are. Tell us, what is the Multicultural Council? What do they do? Uh, the Multicultural Council, or MCC as a lot of our students will call it, is an umbrella organization comprised of representatives from each of our culturally affiliated organizations. So everything from our Asian student organization to our National Society of Black Engineers. So they're really running the gamut of different cultural affiliations, cultural interests, and they meet weekly mm -hmm. to really give a rundown for what's happening in their organizations so that they can cross-populate, cross-pollinate, cross-recruit, um, which we see huge success from. But also, you know, if there's something that's happened, there's been an issue regarding race relations in the country and they feel the need to talk about it. Um, an incident on campus. An incident on campus. Sure. They will bring that up. They'll bring that to the attention of the executive board. Myself and Andy Herrera from Educational Equity are there weekly to hear those concerns should they come up. And MCC also is another longstanding tradition. Another longstanding event is our Harambe, which oh, I yes. encourage mm -hmm. all of our listeners to RSVP for. It's uh, later this month. But um, that is an annual cultural gala with performers and speakers. Good food. Good, great food. Yeah. And that gala has actually won awards in our yearly award ceremony, and it's actually gotten MCC the last five years running organization of the year. So wow, great success from that group. You know, another uh, related event is the fashion show in the spring. Yes. And I went to that this year, and I was just so pleasantly surprised at how much work went into that and how professional it is. You would have thought you were at a real fashion show, and I don't mean that. It, it just... It really stood out to me as a signature event here on campus. Yeah, we're very happy that with COVID starting to become just a normal part of our lives, we're able to adjust and bring that tradition back. As you mentioned, it is a longstanding tradition. This past year was especially special because it was co-sponsored by multiple organizations this year. Um, our Organization of African and Caribbean Students, mm -hmm. our National Society of Black Engineers, and our Association of Black Collegians all had a part in that planning with our office and educational equity as well. Well, kudos to them for a great, great event and a fun time as well. But, you know, the larger issues we're facing as a country right now, we are examining everything across the board from race relations to how we treat people based on their sexual orientation. Uh, it's an important conversation, and how's that impacting the conversation here on campus? What do you see? Mm. 
Well, especially in 2020, coming mm. off of the summer of George Floyd's murder, our Association of Black Collegians and some of our other culturally affiliated organizations really took that matter to heart. They hosted multiple panels. They were involved in community work. I know that the president at that time of ABC, the Association of Black Collegians, worked with a panel at Gannon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Barron's voice was being heard. Barron's student mm -hmm. voices were being heard during that time. And it's not let up. We continue to hear conversations. I know that our gender, sexuality, equality organization, or gays as they are known, also has regular conversations about treatment on campus. They're hosting their first ever national coming out celebration later this month as well, um, recognizing that, you know, with all the progress yeah. that we've made, there's still much to do. Absolutely. Um, and that comes directly from our students. They see the need and they want to make sure that other students know that there's somewhere for them to go. Well, I want to finish. We're getting close to the end here, but I would be remiss not to talk about THON, which is a mm. tremendous Penn State tradition, and we have our Barron THON here. So tell us, how do our students here at Barron get involved in THON? It's very easy to get involved in THON. Our group is called Barron Benefiting THON, and they're such an enthusiastic group, and they've really taken to heart raising money for the kids. They're able to do programming here on campus and do their own fundraisers. Uh, next week, they're having an exercise-a-thon where they're bringing some exercise equipment from the Junker Center over to the Reunion Building and doing a walk and bike-a-thon with the stationary equipment. They have their 24 for a Cure mini dance marathon where they invite students all over campus and clubs and organizations to participate, and that's a great fundraiser, too. And then they gear up for the big thon in February, and they are just so excited and proud to participate and dance or be an observer well we are coming to the close of our show but uh, with that being said anything else you would like to add sure one thing that stands out to me in, in our conversations with our older students or, or graduating seniors that I've had opportunities to work with is when they give advice to younger students or to our incoming mm -hmm. class Time and time again, we hear those graduating seniors talking to the new students saying that the piece of advice that they wish they got was get involved right away. That they, looking back, they wished they would have gotten involved sooner. And it just connects them quicker to the college and makes those experiences that much more special right off the bat. So I would offer that advice to any easy, of our Easy to students. say, but it's get involved, get involved. Get involved, get involved. That, that's our advice from our students to our yeah. students that we often hear. And it's a, it's a truism. Clark? Thank you for having me. Well, Chris, Clark, thanks for being here today. It has been a great conversation, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, you are listening to Barron Talks. I'm Chancellor Ralph Ford, and my guests today have been Chris Mata-Torak, from the Office of Student Leadership and Involvement and her colleague, Clark Tiemann. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for all that you do for our students here at Penn State Barron. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having us and letting us talk about our students. You're welcome. <laughs>